The Pride to Detroit POD cast is brought to you by Righteous Felon Craft Jerky, and it's the jerky that fuels your Detroit Lions. Righteous Felon Jerky and Meat Sticks are available to Lions players at the training facilities at Allen Park, and each two-ounce bag of jerky has 16 to 20 grams of protein, and each stick has 8 grams. Trust me, if it's good enough for the Lions and the POD cast, it's going to be good enough for you, too. Righteous Felon is based in Westchester, Pennsylvania, and they use locally sourced, all-natural Black Angus beef, and they pride themselves on superior quality, revolutionary branding, and unique flavors that go beyond the stereotypical jerky offering. For our listeners, we have a special offer for you. Until the start of the NFL season, you can go to RighteousFelon.com and use the discount code POD20 at checkout to get 20% off your order. That's promo code POD20 at RighteousFelon.com. And welcome to the Pride of Detroit POD cast, prideofdetroit.com, Pride of Detroit on Twitter, Pride of Detroit on Facebook. You know where to find us. I said Twitter, and I'm going to keep calling it Twitter, and you can't stop me. You really can't. The X has fallen already. Live right now on twitch.tv slash Pride of Detroit. It's the same name everywhere because we're the same stuff everywhere you need as we welcome you into another episode of the Pride of Detroit POD cast, the flagship of all of our Pride of Detroit podcast content here the biggest, the longest, and the strongest, and the most reviewed, apparently. By the way, I, I checked our Spotify record the other day for our ratings, and thank you to everyone who's been giving it five stars. We haven't pushed people to do reviews in a while. Just know that our Spotify Spotify rating is immaculate, and I love it. I'm Chris Perfett, the Adequados. You can find me on Twitter, or X, or whatever the hell, and also on threads, at Chris Perfett. You can find our friend Jeremy Reisman, the fearless leader at Detroit Online, who joins us every day and has been podcasting every day from his glorious Reisman recording room. As I keep (laughs) telling him, get Eric closer to the microphone, get Eric closer to the microphone. And I fix it anyway. But Jeremy, welcome. No, no, I appreciate the content. Somehow I still have my voice. Uh, But yeah, it's been uh, it's been a fun week week plus of training camp and i hope you guys aren't sick of hearing my voice because you're going to hear a lot of it again today we'll have to deal with it they absolutely yeah. will have to deal with it we've got training camp to talk about we have inside the den to talk about after a month of people harassing the uh lions admin on social media to post inside the den we finally have it we had a live watch along party and now we're going to talk about it a little bit but first here's ryan matthews the rock god senior editor at ryan underscore pod ryan how are we this lovely hot day, buddy? I'm doing well. How are you, Chris? Nobody asks how you're doing. How are you? I'm 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 surviving. Okay. I'm pulling good. I'm pulling like multiple shifts in very short periods of time. Like we'll, we'll punch through. Sounds like you you're you're carrying a big load. If you're having any back problems, you probably want to talk to whoever Levi Anzarike has been been working with. He's been working with a guy. He's 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 got a guy. Because he was at training camp and he's doing things. He's doing things. He's actually doing things. I think we talked about a little bit last week. Very happy to see him on the field. We're going to get to that in the third segment 
Third segment. A little bit. Nice. Did we want to? I, I know I threw this onto the rundown. I don't think I got an answer from Jeremy. Before we get into Inside the Den, do you want to talk a little bit about? Because I know he's not in your winners, losers, Jeremy, but Jameson Williams, I know, was kind of oh, the big story. <laughs> Jameson Williams is in my winners, losers. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. I missed. <laughs> I'm. That's scrolling. okay. I'm scrolling down. Wait, I don't. Okay. There he is. Okay. Adequate. Wow. It started early. Segment, no, we're just we're just teasing. This is great. We're teasing the podcast. Segment okay. two Segment for two. Jameson Williams talk. Well, let, let's let's stop. Let's stop doing the long teases <laughs> because we get longer and longer. I want to get right into Inside the Den because it came out and it's a bit of a time capsule. It goes all the way back to the draft and it's the rosy picture from the war room. Inside the Den is propaganda. It's very well produced propaganda and it's propaganda we live for because we are Lions fans propaganda nonetheless. But uh, hey, we had fun with it. We got some insight into the Lions draft war room on draft night. And I just I'll, I'll start there. Like, let, let's just start with favorite parts. There was a couple things that struck me that I think are nice discussion topics. But start with start with Jeremy. Like, what's your what was your favorite part of Inside the Den? Ooh, there's a couple really good ones. I'm just I'm going to start with something that I th- found very silly and kind of fun. Um, Not a big picture thing at all, but it was the moment in which the Lions were trading with the Green Bay Packers uh, and Brad Holmes turns to his room and he has a, the Packers initial offerings like. I think I might accept that, like, I think that's probably good enough. I think I'm I'm thinking about doing that. And then he calls up Brian Gutenkirst and is like. I'm not doing that. Give me something else. <laughs> and then they get, then they jump up like another seven or eight spots because of it. Like Gunkus comes back and offers him a slightly better offer. It wasn't like a big deal. It wasn't like he swindled the Packers or anything, but he got a better deal than he was willing to originally accept. And so I thought that was just kind of a cool moment for them to show where Brad was like, yeah, I can do this. But what if I don't? And then uh, he, he reaped the benefits, albeit, you know, like seven draft spots in the in the fourth round or whatever it was. Ryan, what was your favorite? I can, I can, I can always appreciate, um, you know, people appreciating Brad Holmes squeezing other GMs. Um, I don't. Wow. I mean, there was there were so many other, so many other parts. I maybe it's just kind of like a fun one. I think it was Barry Sanders and Jameer Gibbs <laughs> riding in the car together. Yeah. And yeah. Barry Sanders basically telling Jameer Gibbs that he was Steph Curry thirty years ago. Um. <laughs> Cause he's like, back when I played, they didn't have a three point line. And my coach always took me out of the game because I was shooting, <laughs> shooting shots that were too far away from the rim. And I'm like, Oh, okay. Jameer Gibbs is just like, eh, like being polite. Like, okay. Yeah. 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 Barry, I, Barry has never come off as such a boomer than, than in, oh, in the, man. Like, when I he was, pe- he was talking about his, about Jameer Gibbs's chain is like, what is this? Is this what people do these days? It's just like Barry. Well, come on. The chain's going to come up again and I'll explain in a second. But like, yeah, yeah. I, I did see some Lions fans saying like there we should probably we probably need to start sunsetting Barry a little bit from the PR. No, no, oh, he's grandpa. Not. He's grandpa. It's nice yeah. to have that window like that. But uh, <laughs> some of that was rough. I was going to say I actually had two because now you reminded me of one because the first I had initially and it's a very short one. It's when they drafted Antoine Green. And I could tell Antoine Green was so excited to spread the news with his family because as soon as 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 he got done talking with with Brad Holmes, Brad Holmes tries to hand the phone over to Dan Campbell. Let's do on every draft pick. And he's already hung up on him. <laughs> so you have to call him back. And it's like Dan wants to talk to you. And like, so so does Sheila. Don't hang up. 
<laughs> which was fun. But okay. you mentioned the chain, and I just I thought that was a very cool insight when they were talking to Jameer Gibbs during yeah, the Scotty, interview. Scotty Montgomery, the the running yeah. back, the new running and, backs coach. And I know he was like, he's like, show me, show me your technique, show me how you like cradle the ball, show you how to protect. It. And he's like, yeah, it's like you know, it's like a chain and a clasp. You know, you got a nice chain. You don't want to put a you know a twenty dollar clasp on that thing. Yeah, to protect it. Yeah, that, I, and I think that was kind of one of my bigger takeaways too. Is like Scotty Montgomery looks like a dude. Like that's an awesome coaching point, and like right just down seeing the, the way yeah, he can re- relate to his players, seeing the way he's so detailed in what every single player does, his enthusiasm when Jameer Gibbs had that extra hand using it as you know that extra security in the ball. You're the first guy that's come up here and and done that. Like that sort of enthusiasm, that sort of level of detail, that sort of being able to relate to players in a in a very relatable way, I thought was really a really cool coaching moment that you, you never really get to see. And so, yeah, I, I love that moment. My my other favorite moment, though, I fell in love with Sam Laporta. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I I fell in love with Sam Laporta in a way that rivals any Tom Hanks, Meg Ryan movie. Um, and. It was everything to do with a the phone call when he's getting drafted. He's like, "That's awesome, you guys drafted Jack." It's like, "No, we're we're drafting you, Sam." Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, so that that was an awesome moment. But like, the the other thing too was like the 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 combine meeting where Dan Campbell's like, "Do you think that you would like you know put your hands up over your head and catch that ball with a safety coming at your ribs?" He's and Sam Laporte's just like, "I'd like to think so." Like, yeah, <laughs> I, just just all, like his um, like his tone, his demeanor, um, you know, hey, wh- why should why should coach draft you? And he goes. I'm a locker room guy. I fit in any locker room. See, those, I'm a damn good football player, too. Those kind of the, that look into like the interview stuff, I thought was the more fascinating stuff. Because oh, yeah. I felt the war room stuff was very well edited. It's always like, oh, yeah, he, very conveniently. That's the guy we really want. And what about that other guy? Oh, that guy just went or like, oh, you know, he's still there. But we're we like we we, we like our guy more than this guy just a little bit. I don't well, think yeah. we, I don't think we learned too much of that except for one point there. But yeah, go on, Jeremy. No, I was just going to add that, like anytime another draft prospect was ever mentioned, it was just them predicting who's going to come off the board. They didn't there right. was not a single clip of them expressing interest in another player in the draft, which they probably I mean, can't do that. They probably can't do that by NFL rules. I'm sure. No, no. They, I mean, we see, I think like there was a clip of the Dallas Cowboys debating between two prospects in one of their video. Mm-hmm. And, and I'd love to see some of that, but I think the lions, you know, and most teams play that sort of stuff close to the best. Like no the one thing we board, didn't see, yeah. the one thing we didn't see was like when, uh, with, uh not yeah. Devin Witherspoon went off the board, right. At, at five, like we did not see the Lions war room reaction. And I think we can all pretty much guess what it was, which is why they didn't show it. Well, I, I wanted to ask that to Ryan because I think that was the most important thing I took from the war room. And I guess we're revisiting night one of the draft again, because a lot of that early part of inside the den was done defend as we got Brad Holmes once again, talking about why he made the moves, why he's why he talked about Jameer Gibbs so much. And again, like he brought up like, oh, I've got the GMs texting me saying they were hoping there was a lot of Jameer Gibbs wasn't going to last to 18 discussed there. So I found that really fascinating and I find it I find it really fascinating still and they opened with a like very unflattering montage of radio people talking about the Lions day one strategy which I 
I, 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 I didn't like that because like everyone was like, what are you doing drafting a running back and a linebacker? Like you have to justify that in some ways. So I, I don't know. Did you find, did you find anything enlightening or just kind of even a little defensive about how they were dealing with the Gibbs pick? Here's the thing. I understand, you know, inside the den is meticulously edited and and they can tell the story however they want to tell it. I think the parts that rang true, though, were they were definitely content with taking Gibbs at six. Like, I mean, maybe Witherspoon was the guy, but they were totally cool with taking him at six. And after they make the trade and they get Gibbs when Skronsky goes off the board, the little exchange between Holmes and Campbell, where. Holmes is like, like, you know, we have eight, you know, sub 18. We have 34 now. Yeah. Dan Campbell's like, and we get the pick at 40. And it's like, we got the guy we wanted and we have all these other picks. Like they were pretty geeked about it there. I mean, I, I think that that was very true in the sense that like Gibbs was their guy. And, and, you know, even though Brad Holmes, I think he took, he took a lot of risks in this draft, but that first one with, with, you know, moving back from six to 12, um to to get gibbs like dan campbell's like trust your gut man like you know uh brad holmes is like it's a risk it's a risk and dan campbell's just like yeah i'm with you man trust your gut do what you need to do um and then rod woods just over at the end of the table staring oddly and awkwardly and and absorbing aggressive high fives yeah yeah (laughs) uh, we should probably use the pruder film uh brad holmes back into the left caught (laughs) Dan Campbell in the in the crotch but um yeah I I I think that that those parts were authentic like they were really Mm -hmm. excited at hey we have all this draft capital now and the other thing was they didn't shy away from taking risks and and when they did I mean Jeremy like without that trade back Sam Laporta doesn't happen maybe Brian Branch doesn't happen you know I yeah there's there's a lot of things to consider with with that move yeah, no, I think the the documentary helped underscore just how important that trade down was and just how different things would have played out had they not done that or had whether like even if Witherspoon had fallen to them, they were they were ready to trade up to get Gibbs, which means probably no Jack Campbell, right? Like in order yeah. to trade up from 18 to whatever. How, 12, how would how would you have dealt if they traded up, Jeremy, for a running not, back? I, mean, I know well. I know you were already like down on them for taking a running back that day, even though we all understood Gibbs was a different running back. But like, right. No, yeah. Like, I, I think of all the possibilities of how this draft could have went. If Witherspoon would have fallen to them, they would have taken Witherspoon. They probably would have mm-hmm. traded up to get Jameer Gibbs, which means either no Jack Campbell or no Sam Laporta or maybe neither. Which or is, maybe no Brian Branch for that. Or matter. maybe no Brian Branch amongst those three. Like maybe you only get one out of those three then. Um, or they they just take Jameer Gibbs at six. And then and then what? And then I don't even know how the rest of the draft plays out. But then you then again, you you don't get Sam Laporta likely. Um, and so I think of all the those scenarios and, and granted, all of those involve taking a running back early, which I'm still not a huge fan of. The, the, the scenario that they did trading back. I mean, you all know I love trading back. That turned out to be the greatest one, right? Like amongst those responsibilities, and I know we're all Devin Witherspoon fans, and that would have been a great pick and all that, but it would have severely limited their opportunities to to get what they got, which I think is the other big part of this is like, according to Brad Holmes, and granted, most of these were said when he's doing his talking head interview, which not not necessarily in the moment in the war room, according to Brad Holmes, they got four first round talents, right? They got four guys 
and they only had 14 guys they labeled as first round talents. Uh, and that's assuming Sam Laporte is amongst that group. And because he said it of Brian Branch, he said it of Jack Campbell, he said it of Jameer Gibbs. All those guys were top 14 guys on their draft boards. And considering Sam Laporte went before Brian Branch, you can probably assume he's the fourth. Again, it's them telling the story they want to tell. But even seeing how the, the draft is already starting to play out in training camp, I think it's believable that all four of those guys may have been their top 14 guys. And none of that happens without that trade down. We have to kind of see it still in the regular season, of course, always the corollary to that, but nothing we can react to until that season is played out. But I agree, like you definitely it's it's definitely the opportunity cost of trading down. I think that makes it more more palatable at the end of the day. I was kind of shocked by how few first round talent he said was in this draft. Yeah that it was a small pool. So you like a lot of the guys in the first round, they were probably writing off. I agree with you that like taking Gibbs at six, which would probably give him an even bigger salary than Bijan yeah. Robinson. <laughs> and yeah. now you're talking like, I think we said like what running back pay is so off the, off the wall. You'd be paying like top 10 of that position for a rookie running back. Yeah. So like, that's definitely something I think they were able to avoid. And again, like you said, you get to add Porta, Laporta, Maybe even Hendon Hooker, we can throw into how this draft played out for everything. Like it was, it was definitely the right move. I just think that it it felt a little defensive sometimes because they did get a lot of blowback after day one. They did get a lot of blowback, but you know, as we said in our podcast at the time, we saw how the rest of the draft played out, and then we saw that it it at least still followed a discernible a, a discernible strategy. And some very yeah. fun guys, yeah. It- it felt like every move they made was they were at least thinking, you know, two or three steps ahead, right? Like when they're mm-hmm. trading back um, in, in the second round to eventually get Hooker in the third round, they're like, all right, we're building up, you know, fourth and fifth round draft picks because we want to jump back into the third and, and get a defensive tackle. And it seems like, it, in fact, this is my maybe my other big takeaway. Like they were enamored with Broderick Martin even more than we thought, you know. Broderick, Broderick Martin, Martin a- Broderick Martin and Soresdale, you could tell like this is something their scouts are really keen on. Even even Antoine Green, like going deep in there, it's like, yeah, our scouts are keen on these guys. But like Martin in particular, right? Because not only did they end up trading, what, three or four draft picks to jump back into the third round, but you saw Brad Holmes cold calling people at the top of the third round saying like, yeah. Who wants who wants to trade back? Who wants to trade back? I want to get back in here and gr- grab Project Martin was a day three prospect by most draft analysts. And and, under, and I'm, I'm not saying that Brad Holmes is wrong. I'm just saying that went so against conventional wisdom at the time. And to learn that he was willing to trade even further up from Project Martin is like, wow, they got a lot of faith in this dude. And, and to be clear, like he's had a pretty good training camp so far, too. So um, maybe he's on to something. But I thought that was that was fascinating. And and also yeah. it's fascinating too, because like general managers aren't necessarily the guys that get involved in that sort of stuff. Like you saw a lot of kind of the underlings making those calls and, and like confirming that the numbers check out in terms of trade value and stuff like that. Brad Holmes was getting on his horse and like, I want, I want this done. This, this is my dude. Yeah. I, two, two things to that point real quick. Like they take Hendon Hooker at, at 68, right? Yeah. And Brad Holmes was, he was calling people as soon as 70. Like yeah. he starts calling people. They drafted Broderick Martin at 96. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's that's a whole 26 picks. Ahead. I mean, it was, it was a it was a supplemental or a uh, it was a compensatory pick that they eventually moved up to to get him within the third round. But um, 
the the other thing that I thought was pretty enlightening about uh, the the talk with Hendon Hooker was, you know, that's somebody who Brad Holmes he identified at the beginning of the second round when he's like, oh, I kind of get a sense of like how things are trending with him. Mm. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to like Jeremy said, I'm going to you know trade back and trade back and kind of play this violin until you know now's the time to he talks a little bit about it but he's like all right we had to like stop doing that like it was like (laughs) time to stop playing chicken yeah it's it's a game of chicken on that well it's it's min-maxing right it's literally Mm -hmm. what everybody talks about it's like okay like min-maxing value for for draft picks and things like that but i i thought that that was pretty revealing and um i i I I thought it was yeah in in his combine interview where he's like yeah my greatest weakness is that like i just try to do too much yeah, I liked how they had been having eyes on him since Virginia Tech as well. Like they, this is clearly someone they've had kind of an eye on for a while too. But the the last point I, I want to make is just yeah. to jump off Ryan's last point. There's like the min maxing thing and and being predictive of where these players are going. I think I think that was highlighted really well by as one of Brad Holmes's biggest strengths is like understanding the value. Like you can go all the way back to the Jameer. Gibbs trade like you knew tra- trading back to 12 he'd probably still be there because of the way the NFL values the running backs because of Bijan like they 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 had a good sense he was going to be there they had a good sense when when Hendon is going to go they they knew when the right time was to jump up for Brian Branch and and like it it all kind of worked I mean you we don't know about Broderick Martin we don't know about Colby Sorzel and where they would have gone and all that but in terms of like the the main draft picks the 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 main contributors that you're going to see this year and beyond. I feel like he had a really good sense of where those players are going to go. And I think they highlighted that well in the, in the documentary. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we are going to move on to training camp. Jeremy has winners and losers and me and Ryan are going to chop up what it all means from the narrative standpoint, from the state of this, of this uh, roster, as we are now only a few days away from preseason opening up, not for the Detroit Lions, but for, you know, Jets Browns for uh, for the Hall of Fame game, which is, I guess, the next station of the cross here for the return of football. And then not this coming Friday, if you're listening the week we release this, but next Friday, the first Lions preseason game, it goes by so quickly, it comes back so quickly. But we have a very important thing to let you know. Because it's very hot outside, Jeremy. But you know what you can do? that helps keep you fueled keeps help you cool keeps your muscles going through all this heat do you know ryan i don't know can you inform us chris how about some nice savory beef jerky we are pleased to announce righteous felon is back with pride of detroit for another year let's go we brought the meat boys back our bullying campaign worked ryan's threats worked thank you ryan (laughs) you're welcome Pride of Detroit podcast is brought to you by Righteous Felon Craft Jerky. For those new who don't know what we're talking about, Righteous Felon is the jerky that fuels your Detroit Lions because Righteous Felon Jerky and Meat Sticks are available to Lions players at the training facilities at Allen Park. How does it help you out, Jeremy? How, what makes them, what helps that fuel? What, what is it? What is it? Protein, baby. Protein, protein. Mm. Each bag of jerky, 16 to 20 grams of protein. Each stick, meat stick. Adult Slim Jims, eight grams of protein. If it's good enough, the Lions, 
It's good enough for you too. Righteous Felon is based in Westchester, Pennsylvania. They use locally sourced all natural Black Angus beef, prides themselves on superior quality, revolutionary branding, unique flavors that go beyond the stereotypical jerky offering. And yet still somehow they are still sold out a foul Capone, our favorite, the uh, basil turkey jerky. They still got Marilyn Monroe, though, or what is it? It, No, Marilyn. Yeah, yeah, whatever. Maryland. It's Maryland Monroe. There you go. It's the beef. It's the beef jerky with the uh, old bay spice seasoning. That's right. Crab seasoning. They probably can't say old bay. Yeah, 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 but it's it's old bay. We know. (laughs) I know. I know what it is. It's crab (laughs) spice. But and and they have that Soul Survivor, which is the Korean barbecue flavor, which I heard like. I know it's part of the ad read, but like they really do have unique flavors that are really fun and tasty. I love the like, well, we've said this before, too. Like, yes, they are paying us, but we have tried all of their stuff and we are pure enjoyers of it. I especially Absolutely. like what is that victorious B.I.G., mm-hmm. which is the beer infused one with uh, victory stout. And we're going to make this deal even sweeter for you if we haven't sold you already, because we're giving you 20 percent off until the start of the NFL season. You can go to RighteousFelon.com and use promo code POD20 at checkout to get 20% off your order. 20%. 20%. After, after the start of the season, we'll have a 15% discount code as well. But right now, 20% until the start of the NFL season. That means you have until September to get your meat orders in and bulk up your meat. RighteousFelon.com, promo code POD20. We'll be right back on the Pride of Detroit POD cast. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Welcome back to the Pride of Detroit POD cast. And let's move on to training camp with a bit of a twist this time. We've had at least one week of training camp in the books. Jeremy and Eric are going to continue to come from the Reisman recording room as Eric's sighs get louder and louder every time. Ryan is shaking his head. What did I do something wrong, Ryan? Or is it just the Reisman you recording see, room? You, yeah, you said it. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I appreciate Jeremy's smile. Good, good job, Chris. 
I'm not going to get credit for it anyway, so it's fine. Um, anyway, tra- we're doing this with a bit of a twist. And once again, we're going to keep playing to Jeremy's ego because he has winners and losers for me and Ryan to he's basically going to throw this like meat to two wolves over here starving who don't get to go to training camp as we sit here from the sidelines as sports hot take guys to figure out what to make of the winners and losers from this. So do we still, we've got these divvied up this segment. We'll do offense next segment. We'll do defense, but Jeremy has a few winners and a few losers for the offense right now. And we're just going to react and discuss, use it to basically tee up our conversations. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. I'll throw, I'll throw kind of like a topic of discussion after Mm -hmm. I I announce one, every one of these. So let's, let's, let's start Mm -hmm. it off. I'm going to start with a winner. I'm going to say Denzel Mims and I'm not going to sit here and say like, wow, like, what a mistake and and for, for them to let him go. And, 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 you know, he's going to be the second round talent. He's not anywhere close to that yet, but he stepped in. He's, he started to take some second and some first team reps. The speed is there. The size is there. The chemistry is not yet. And so like, but he's already, I think thrown in a, into a pretty fortuitous situation with the lions kind of figuring out their wide receiver depth, especially with JMO out for the first six weeks. So I think he's, put into a really good situation where he could have an impact and turn his career at least a little bit around. I'm I'm not predicting him to suddenly be, you know, wide receiver number one like this. I'm not expecting him to start week one or anything like that. I think that's either going to be Khalif Raymond or Marvin Jones. But I throw it back to you guys. Is he your now favorite to be either the wide receiver five or the wide receiver six position while he's battling with guys like Antoine Green, Trinity Benson, Maurice Alexander and the likes? Well, first off, RIP to uh, Tom Kennedy, who is the loser in this situation. Sure. Clearing waivers, going back to the IR. Um, I've got to wonder about Antoine Green. I, I don't I know we don't know. Do we know too much? I know he had an injury not long ago. He, well, he had he, heat exhaustion. He ended up coming back, oh, so okay. he's fine. OK, so it was just he heat did come up a yeah. little bit limpy today, but I, I don't think there's any concern yeah. there yet. OK. Because I feel like he's in the running with Green just because Green has shown those flashes that we like. And it's the investment in in they both basically have the same kind of draft capital invested into both of them right now. Sure. And I think for for what Green brings, like he's he's definitely that like in between X receiver that I think we've talked about before, Ryan, back during the draft show. So I, I guess I'm buying into it. I guess I'm buying that Mims, it seems like someone they have really had their eye on is definitely in that wide receiver five competition. I just, yeah, I'll go ahead and say it. I think he's at the top of the of the pile for WR5 right now. It all depends on special teams, right? And so sure. I, I think the three receivers to me that are in the mix there are, are Mims, um, obviously Antoine Green, and... Maurice Alexander, to me, I think those three guys, you look at them and they could all have an impact on special teams. Mims kind of has this weird relationship with special teams, though, because last year when things weren't going so great in New York early in the season and as they're heading towards the season, he had this quote about, you know, coaches already have their mind made up about me. And, you know, the Jets have kind of cited like, well, it's just his like in a kind of like his inability to play special teams. And Mims is like, I'll play special teams. I'll do whatever, you, like I'll do whatever to get on the field. Yeah. If that's the Mims that's here in Detroit, I, I, I would, I would venture to guess that he probably has an inside edge just because of, 
you know, his, his athletic gifts and, and some of the upside that's there. But um, man, I don't, I think it's kind of tough, right, Jeremy? Like, do you think it's tough? Do you think it is kind of those three guys? Is Trinity Benson the odd man out, you think? I, I kind of think Trinity Benson is in that mix, honestly. And, and I think maybe Maurice Alexander isn't because I, I do agree that Maurice Alexander is a good special teamer, particularly a returner. Returner, I, yeah. I just That's don't kind of limited, though, right? Yeah. Right. Is there a return job even open, especially with the return of Justin Jackson? Right? Like, He's he was the kick returner last year, and I don't think you're taking Khalif off a punt return. So then, where does that put Maurice Alexander? I don't know. Um, but but I don't like Trinity Benson. I, I know people don't want to hear it, but like he's been getting a lot of first and second team reps too. And with Denzel, like I any concern about his character? Like I know he's he's had some you know combative relationship with his coaches publicly and and, and otherwise. But in terms of like his work ethic, I don't think that can be questioned so far from what I've seen at camp. And so, yeah, I do think he's probably a guy that that would be willing to get his nose dirty when it comes to special teams. I can't really speak to how he's looked as a special teamer yet. It hasn't he hasn't popped out one way or the other. But I think I think he's in the mix. I think I think Trinity Benson, Antoine Green is obviously in the mix. And the question then becomes, do you do you keep a wide receiver five and a wide receiver six or are you only going to keep one of those three players? And we'll see. But let me move on to another winner here. Yeah, next, next, next winner. Uh, I'm going to go Obina Eze. Um, and this is just purely from a lot of first team or not first team reps. I'm sorry. One on one reps is what I meant to say. Um, one quite a bit the other day looked pretty solid, even in some 11 on 11s. The the caveat here, though, is that he is mostly repping with second and third team. It's very much clear to me that Jermaine Effetti and Matt Nelson are this team's preferred OT3 and OT4 right now. But it's early in camp, and the fact that like Obina taking a year two jump here is what we were all kind of hoping for. I think I think his trajectory might be like I don't know if he can be OT three this year, but maybe he can be OT four. May I mean maybe he can be OT three. Matt Nelson has not looked particularly good. Granted, he's going up against Aiden Hutchinson a lot right now with, with Panay out. Um, but I. Obviously, you guys haven't seen Obina and, and him make this year two jump. Um, but I guess just like theoretically speaking, do you think that OT3 job is open enough for a guy who probably is still pretty raw to potentially jump in and, and take it right away? I think so. I think especially over Jermaine Effetti. And like we, we've talked about the jumps we've kind of expected for Eze. And again, we have to reemphasize he didn't start playing football until he was like 16 years old. When he immigrated to the to the United States, like he hadn't he didn't grow up playing Pop Warner. I think we always understood like even when he was at uh, Memphis that like, yeah, this is kind of, you know, this is a project. This is a long term project to see if he'll be an NFL. But all the measurables are there. All the physical tools are there. So I think he could definitely still make it onto the roster, especially since this this team has shown that they don't mind some longer term projects and if it means keeping Eze around and letting him continue to develop in the season as as a depth tackle I could see that I don't think he's passing Nelson though I think if it's between him and Nelson they'll go Nelson I kind of just view him still as a as a practice squad player like I view him as somebody that they carry around in the taxi and they do have the expanded practice squad and all the new practice squad rules sure yeah that that makes it easier for them and if you want a guy to develop, that's a great place for him to be. I mean, look no further than James Houston, right? And completely different positions and whatever, um, you know, but I, I think that 
especially for this team in the here and now, I think that if they're going to, they're going to lean on anything. I think they're going to lean on veteran players who've been there and who've done it before. Uh, So I guess my question for Jeremy, then if we kind of set Eze on the practice squad, like, would you give a Fetty the, the edge over Matt Nelson right now? Or do you think that he has a chance to beat out Matt Nelson to BOT three? I think he has a chance. I, th- I think Nelson is just being treated as the incumbent right now as the guy who's thrust into the starting lineup with, with Panay out. Um, but yeah, it, it's tough, right? Like this is a team that in the past, and, and we've heard it all the time from the coaching staff, like they're not afraid to play their young players. And this is how they're, they're going to grow their team is through youth. But now, now the, the, uh, the stakes have changed, right? Like this is, this is an important season. This is a season where there are high expectations. Uh, like if one of those tackles, God forbid, goes down long term, are you going to risk putting if if Eddie or, you know, someone who's played a ton of started a ton of football games in a or are you going to hand it to a developmental long term guy who just learned football five, six years ago? It's a tough question. Like it, if if Eze is good enough, they're going to play him because that's the only thing that matters to them. But it's a leap of faith either way because he hasn't he hasn't played a football game, so it, it it's it's a tough philosophical question, um, especially given how how important this season is. Um, but let me go to our last standout, and it's not a surprise, and it's one that I, I can already see the smile on Chris's face here. We got to talk about Amon Ra dominating camp even more, and the fact that he's now doing it against an improved secondary again, like against guys who who are going to fight and. And, and compete and knock down some passes against some other teams is, is something to watch, man. Like it, he didn't have his greatest day today, dropped a couple of passes. CJ got him. I broke up a pass to him, but Amon Ra is still looking like that dude. And so I'm, I'm going to throw a saucy question your way. Can this guy be a top 10 receiver in the NFL? If he's not already. I'm trying to think in my head right now. See, the problem is, is like I saw this coming and I hadn't thought who are the top 10 wide receivers right now. You don't have to name them. We don't have. No, 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 no. I I know we don't have the time, but I'm just sitting here because I want to make sure I don't throw someone out. So I'm just like thinking about it right now. I I mean, I I think I think it can be. I think I I mean, I know he's a slot like predominantly a slot guy and we're so conditioned to think of slot guys as just not that but we've talked enough about him and like i don't know i i think i i think he can be top 10 i i think like he can sit up there with guys like cd lamb and cooper cup like he's absolutely this weapon that just because you say that the secondary has improved i tell you that amon ross st brown has improved as well yeah and he will keep up with whatever you are throwing in a vo- and at like he's, he's he's just he's evolving he's adapting he's like he's like the borg out there and I think we've just run out of superlatives to talk about St. Brown. And I think when for us as Lions fans, we run out of superlatives for certain players. They tend to fade into the background. So every now and then we need a reminder of just how damn good Amon Ra St. Brown is and what a weapon he is. And I think I had that this week when I was talking because I'm setting up fantasy leagues again. And one of the big questions is, where do you take St. Brown? Because he's going to get a lot of receptions. He's going to get a lot of targets and he's going to get a lot of yards. And that's just the end of it. Yeah. And I think part of this conversation, Ryan, is that he's, he predominantly does his work in short to intermediate routes. Right. And that's just his game. That's not, 
some people view that as a negative because that's not the big play machines that, that some of these wider, you know, prototypical wide receiver ones are. And I know, I know Hamonra wants to be a deep ball receiver, but let's be honest, that's, that's not his strength. That's not who he is. He's, he's a small to intermediate guy and that's, and he's excellent at that. So you don't want to take that away, but I don't know, Ryan, like, are, can you be that kind of guy and still be a top 10 wide receiver in the league? It's the marriage between him and Jared Goff, though, right? I think sure. when we were having uh, formerly known as Twitter Spaces conversation with me, you, and Eric on a Saturday, we were asked the question, what's Jared Goff's superpower? His superpower is being, is just working the intermediate, right? It's working the middle of the field. It's working those routes that are, that are 10, 12, yep. 14 yards. And that's what Amon Ra excels at. So, to, to Chris's point, though, like, yes, the targets and the and the receptions and the yards, those will all be there. That's where the discussion ends. But the discussion or the question of if he is a top 10 wide receiver begins with. Can he do things like the other day when he has that basket catch? Right. <laughs> he He's showing off some of those skills. If he can be that wide receiver, too. Then then you're probably not even talking about a top 10 receiver. You're probably talking about a top five wide receiver. Oh, boy. I think that's a little saucy, but I like it. Well, hey, you know, I'm known for my bold predictions. <laughs> I just think there's there's room in the there's room for us to talk about top 10 receivers who aren't just the deep threats because the deep threats are fun. But if you're yeah. making that up with more passes for more yards and more targets like. Why shouldn't you? Why shouldn't you be considered for that? And he's still like, I, I saw his catch to the to the corner of the end zone today, too. Like he's going to probably like they, they they won't be able to just ram the ball in this year with someone like Jamal Williams. They're going to need him to make plays to catch balls in the end zone to score touchdowns. Like that's. That that's there. That's there for him. All right. Let me move on to some some losers of of training camp, and I'm just going to get this one out of the way. Um, and and I I want I want to throw Rip as many caveats as I as I can. Uh, I do have Jameson Williams listed as a loser, and and don't jump off the hinge. I'm not, I'm not trying to run this guy out of town. Let's just put what happened in the first week of training camp into perspective. He missed five practices because of a, a leg injury, which I think we can all agree this time is pretty critical for him. First time getting training camp practice. I mean, his first ever padded practice with contact happened today of his NFL career. Um, so he's behind the eight ball again a little bit. And then he comes out today, drops three to four passes in the first hour of practice, gets in a fight when, and I want to be perfectly here, clear here. I don't care about the fight at all. If, it happens if, in training camp all if, the time. If Amon Ra threw a punch at practice, we'd all be praising and, and talking about how fierce of a competitor is. I don't care about that, but drops a couple passes, still not on the same page with his quarterbacks does eventually turn TG Gardner Johnson in a turnstile does eventually catch a, a seven on seven touchdown. But I would say overall a, a disappointing performance. And I think we can say at the, like I've seen enough Jameson Williams practices with a lot of drops in them. And I think it's also fair to wonder like, okay, this is a guy we picked 12th overall. This is a guy we traded up to get. Why hasn't he dominated a practice yet? So my question to you, where are we on the concern level from one to 10? How, how concerned are we right now about Jameson Williams? Ryan, why don't you take this one first? 
I uh, my, my concern level, even though I understand that, I, I feel like as Lions fans, we are well within our right to be concerned with the guy who, you know, for all intents and purposes, hasn't played very much football and, and won't be playing football for for quite a few weeks into the regular season there. I feel like Lions fans are well within the right to be concerned about the guy. I'm not going to hit the panic button until he has another injury that limits his greatest ability, Jeremy, which is availability. Cause like you said, the time that he misses is so crucial because from what I understand from the, the play where he put, you know, uh, CJ GJ in that turnstile, you know, him and golf just not on the same page when it comes to the route. Right. Yep. So, I mean, this is the time where you're supposed to be developing that chemistry. And if, if you're not on the field doing it, right. That that, that's a cause for concern. So I think the most important thing is that to to two points and I'll let Chris get in here, but if Jamison Williams goes the rest of training camp without dealing with any of these kind of injuries that are just nagging and they require a few days rest and you got to stretch and you got to, you know, ramp yourself back up. If he can avoid that. And if he can, you know, no, uh, no block, no rock. If he can do that stuff, if he can still go out there and be physical. Well, then I think we're heading in the right direction. So I would put my concern level at like a two. I, I agree with you in the sense that I believe that he needs to be more available in practice. My concern is a little bit higher than yours. Mostly just because it's just the small things are starting to stack up a little bit when it comes to there always seems to be another obstacle to seeing Jamison Williams out there. Not just seeing the field at this point, but even just practicing, getting those rhythms, getting that rep, uh, those reps, getting in rhythm with Jared Goff, which we as we know from last year, like he needs that time to sync with Jared Goff if he wants to be a weapon. And yet it just seems like there's always something in the way. There's always some other like thing that just keeps cropping up. And I'm not saying that's going to keep continuing, but I think that's where a lot of the concern for Lions fans stems from at the end of the day, because usually when this stuff starts to snowball, it doesn't really stop for players in the NFL. Maybe they finally get the monkey off their back. Maybe all it really is is getting time to see the field, to score a touchdown, make everyone forget about it. But until that moment, we have to keep casting some doubt on whether Jamison Williams can really be the guy that he's being advertised to be. I'm sorry. Like, until you have proof otherwise, we're just sitting here, say, waiting for waiting for Godo or Goda or however the hell you say it. I'm using a reference. I don't even know how to say the name. My concern is around probably about a six and a half right now. Like I can be convinced off of it, but really at this point, it's very much so you need to show me something in a live game. And I know that's not going to come for another two, three months. But each time this kind of stuff comes up, the bar gets raised a little bit higher. It's like this investment at some point has to pay off. Yeah, I'm I'm probably somewhere in in between you guys. Um, I, I think I think the drop issue has recurred enough at this point to be a legitimate concern. And I know everyone is just quick to say, oh, well, you know, Jamar Chase had drop issues in training camp and he turned out fine. Like, OK, you found the one example. Congratulations. Like this. 
to me, I I'm using my eyes. I I'm seeing him even when sometimes when he does make the catch, he double clutches it. Like it's not it's not great. Um, can he still have a very very successful career if he has occasional drops? Of course he can. And with kind of the the route timing and all that stuff like this is the time to make those mistakes right this is the time to get better at that sort of stuff so that sort of stuff still not that big of a concern to me but the, the drop thing is is something I, I i can i can no longer just ignore and say ah, he's just gonna jamar chase it and be fine like that's that's not how it typically works so i don't know we'll we'll, we'll, we'll see we'll, we'll move on here though uh last one uh in terms of losers jamar jefferson and it's not in particular because of anything he's done. It's the Justin Jackson edition. It feels like Justin Jackson jumps right into that RB3 spot, and now there might not even be an RB4 spot to to battle for. So my question to you guys is, one, that exactly, is it worth keeping an RB4 on the roster? And two, who is your favorite? Is it is it him? Um, Is it Craig Reynolds? Are you still, I almost said Bo, Bo Scarborough. Jeez. <laughs> this isn't where my brain is right now. Um, running seven out of eight days in, in training camp here. The other guy, the Muhammad Ibrahim. Muhammad Ibrahim. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, who's your favorite right now for the RB? I guess four spot. If you assume that the Justin Jackson is RB. Well, I, I guess we're assuming that they're not carrying a fullback at this point. Or, I, I don't know. <laughs> you you bring it that in, like fullback to me is a different position. So I'm not I'm not including that when I'm saying RB three and RB four. But I just I I just but don't yeah think I mean that I, that can be part of the discussion. Is, yeah. Is it, are you keeping an RB four and not keeping a fullback? Yeah, because I see it either it's three RBs, three RBs and a fullback, or four RBs. I don't see four RBs and a fullback. That's that's the only thing I'm going to throw out there. Um, I just don't see the place for Jeremiah Jefferson right now. I know they've waited around a long time to see what he can do. I think like the fact that it took this long before Justin Jackson came back, uh, I, I have questions about why. I'm sure it was just you know, more about Jackson. He wanted to test other places maybe, or whatever, or they just wanted to like take some, take their time on him. I I don't know, but that he's back. I think he kind of puts himself above it. And Ibrahim to me has always seemed like someone they've been very high on um, as a prospect, which isn't that what they've been saying about Jermar Jefferson for two years. So I feel like that role's kind of either upstage and I think RB I think they'll go four running backs and I think it'll go to uh Craig Reynolds or or Mo Ibrahim unless Ibrahim goes to the practice squad. But I don't see the route for Jermar Jer- Jefferson anymore. I just have a feeling that you can go three running backs and you don't have to have a fourth running back or even have a fullback uh in I'm, who who knows if they'll actually do that, but I, I just view that there is some overlap between Brock Wright's skill set and Jason Cabinda's skill set. And I know that there are a lot of special teams snaps to replace from, yep. from outgoing guys. Uh, because I'm, I'm, is Jalen Reeves Maven a lock to make the roster? I mean, maybe just because he is a special teams dude, right? So yeah, ultimately Cabinda I, having that linebacker background just makes him so much more useful for special teams. It does, but you can find a lot of guys who can fly down the field and hit somebody, right? You can use Jamison Williams for that uh, if he isn't doing enough as a receiver. I'm just kidding. Uh, but I, I think with the running back situation, like, just keep three, and it's almost like the Eze stuff where it's like, just keep a guy on the practice squad that, you know, you need to call up a running back because, you know, hopefully it doesn't happen. But my goodness, if <laughs> if the Lions are calling up a running back from their practice squad, 
uh oh, things are not going well in Detroit land. The the only defense I'll make here of Jamar Jefferson is it's clear he's taken the challenge of learning special teams and ran with it. I'm not saying he's a special teams ace or anything at this point. He's still obviously pretty new to to that position and hasn't had a ton of on field experience, but you can tell he looks better and more comfortable in that role. And so I think that will uh, will give him a better shot. But uh, that is it for winners losers. Uh, I guess I, I can also. Edition. Really quick, might as well throw some some quick breaking news that probably won't be that breaking news when you're listening to this. But uh, I guess we kind of have to throw Shane Zilstra, unfortunately, on this list, too, because he took a a shot to the leg today in practice. And news uh, is coming out now via Ian Rappaport that it's a serious injury. Uh, Four months, I think, is the recovery time that he put on it. I I think Rap Sheet actually says six months. I'm sorry. You're right. Six months. Six months, which is like even the end of the season. Yeah. Yeah. Essentially, so probably headed to the IR, I would imagine there, and that's uh, that's tough news because he's. I mean, he was a roster bubble guy. He, he's a guy that you know brought a little bit more versatility than I think even sometimes I gave him credit for because we think of him as a wide receiver, a receiving tight end, former wide receiver. Um, but they liked what he did there, um, and with us kind of not knowing right now where Sam Laporta went in the second half of today's practice, um, Lions could. In a, in a hurry, find themselves shorthanded at tight end, which might work to Cabinda's benefit, I suppose. All right, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll do Jeremy's going to tee us off on the defense. We have some winners and losers there, including one guy who uh, we're all very excited to see back and another rookie that I don't think we've this might be the first time we've actually talked about him. He was probably one of my favorites from the draft, and we've barely talked about him at all. So I feel like uh, we'll get some more about that and a little bit more coming up next in the Pride of Detroit Beauty cast. Wrapping up the Pride of Detroit POD cast here. But before we do that, we have one more set of winners and losers, and this time on the defense. So once again, I turn it over to Jeremy, who I'm going to regret doing that because him running some stuff on streams has been uh, kind of an adventure already. So <laughs> by all well, means, yeah. you take the wheel. Don't, well, listen, once I'm starting to talk training camp, I'm in my groove. No mistakes ever made while I'm talking training camp. I, I just corrected you last segment. That. Nope. Don't fact check that. Just going back 30 on your 30 second rewind. Can't find can't find an example. Uh, Jeremy knows how to find a tab and he can work a Google Doc. He'll do just fine. (laughs) Uh, Winners and losers of defense. Uh, Surprisingly, a lot of of, of winners, uh, because I thought the defense has been playing particularly well through the first week and really finished this past week uh, very strong. I think we have to start with Levi. And we talked a little bit about him last week because news broke that he was not going to be on the NFI list, hasn't been on the NFI list, hasn't gotten injured, went through a little bit of an injury scare that, uh, sorry, AG uh, talked about, um, where he got bent back kind of dramatically and uh, was fine. Got up, went back into the lineup. Now he's been repping with the threes, but flashes here and there. AG said, like, he's still got to put on some weight. He's still got to put on some some strength training to, to get fully back. He's still kind of acclimating. But my question to you guys is like, how confident are you that one, he can still make the team? Like, is he still, is he in for you? And, and, and two, like, 
are we are we back on the train where like maybe the Lions still have a second round talent amongst their ranks? I, I just think that obviously it's really well documented how much Brad Holmes loved Levi Onzorike, right? Wanted to trade up into the first round potentially to get him. I think that's the story that everybody always cites where it's like, oh man, that could have been a really bad, you know, gaffe by Brad Holmes early in his his GM tenure. But for a guy who loves Levi Onzorike that much, I have to think that he has a spot on this football team and I know he's repping with the threes, but to that, Jeremy, I think that really just speaks to this team's mantra of you have to earn it. Like you're not just going to be given anything. And, and for a guy who, you know, like AG said today, for a guy who has to put in a lot of work in, in in the weight room and and get reps and things like that, this is going to be really important for him. And I, I think he has to make the team. I think he has to make the team. He has to. I just it's such a crowded it's such a crowded battle right now. It's just and it's just gotten even more crowded with, you know, Broderick Martin and Benito Jones. Like, I just don't. I'm I I think he can make the team. I'm just it's going to be some very interesting cuts that have to be made to get him on the roster, though. Yeah, I mean, I mean, but but after you have you have a Leem, you have Broderick, and you have right, Bugs, and I right. think after that, it kind of just falls off. It a does cliff in terms of, I mean, you want to roll the dice on Levi, like he's still he's still your guy. I, you, you I think so. I would really like to see him rep with, like, maybe I, I think one of the things I would really like to see in week two is reps with higher teams for Anzarike yeah. to like just really reinforce that he is to like see what he can do against better competition out there in training camp as well. I think that would help sell me a little bit further on the idea that he's going to make the roster. Yeah. It'd it'd be nice to like see him against the ones, right? Like that's, that's a real talent. He's going to be going up against in in the NFL, right? Like you've got a really good interior offensive line, put him give, give him reps here and there. And, and that's what they say. Like Aaron Glenn today, like kind of went off on the media a little bit and was like, Hey, you guys need to stop like obsessing over where these guys are repping in terms of what that means, what we think of them. Like if a guy is repping with the ones, that doesn't mean we think he's going to be a starter necessarily. It means we want to see exactly what you said, Chris, how these guys perform against yeah, it's, better it's competition. Not, I, I think he's got it a bit wrong. It's like we're not trying to look where these guys are going to start if they're repping with the ones. It's about what kind of competition, what level of competition they're facing by right. which like, yeah, he's right. So if the twos are playing the ones, and the guys on the twos, that's fine. But the more important thing is that they're playing the ones. Right. Like I, I care about who his competition is in training camp. Right. Whereas some people just kind of obsess like, oh, he's rotating with the ones. They must think he's a starter. Right. It, it's more like it's a more test. It's like, OK, how do you. And so I think I think eventually we're going to get there with Levi. I think eventually we will see him playing with the ones a little bit. Part of it is is what Ryan said, like they're going to make him earn it. Part of it is, as I think he's still kind of on this ramp up period where they're just like, we're not going to give this guy. 30, you know, first team reps in practice, we rather give him five or six third team reps while we kind of get him ready again. Like he talked about how he needs to build up his strength training and things like that. Um, So we'll see with Levi. I'm not ready to like, he's a 53 lock or anything like that, but, but yeah, I I think there's a lot of meat still on that bone that, that the lines are going to try to kind of see what they got in Um, on the other end of the spectrum, uh, Christian Covington, I have on my loser list and I don't know. Like I went to thinking this guy might be a roster lock partially because I thought Levi was probably going to enter the season on the pup. Now I, I barely see the guy out there. He's not making any plays. He's a veteran. Yes. But even now I feel like he's kind of sliding down the depth chart. I haven't noticed him 
where like Broderick Martin, Aleem, all those guys are even Benito, like got a, a shout out from Dan the other day. The one guy he he didn't talk about in that defensive tackle room was Christian Covington because he has been almost invisible so far. And so I don't know, is it do, do you guys think he's he's like out of the picture at this point? Again, I know you guys aren't there, but like. Is there is there a guy that that maybe you have seen a bigger turnaround from week one, week zero to week one in terms of their, you know, chances of, of making that roster. Just Levi. <laughs> yeah. But, but, yeah, but, comes, but into I, his yang. Yeah, right. Exactly. It comes to Covington's you know detriment. I, I, I think when you look though, like, yeah, Christian Covington's on the outside looking in for sure. But I think that just goes to speak about, how much better we maybe feel about the interior of the defensive line. Yeah. Like, I, I know you said Levi was one of your winners and and you kind of slash and said like all the interior defensive linemen. I mean, the stuff I'm hearing about Aleem McNeil is incredible. And I have never been more excited about somebody who is quote unquote in the best shape of their life. It's when you have <laughs> Jonah Jackson, you know, in front of the yeah. microphone, he's like, he's, he's bigger, faster, stronger. But the other thing to me was, He's like, yeah, when you when you get to go up against him, it's like practicing against and getting ready for Aaron Donald and Quinnen Williams and Chris Jones. And he lists off all these great interior yeah. defensive linemen that are game wreckers. And he compares Aleem McNeil to them in the sense that, oh, yeah, repping against Aleem will get me ready for those guys. Oh, my God. What? <laughs> what? I, 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 asked him, I asked him that question, by the way. Good question. Good Thank question you. to ask him. Yeah. Nice job, Jeremy. Can we uh can can we talk about Brian Branch if we're yes. jumping back to winners? Sure, yeah. Brian Branch 1000% a winner. Um like he's he's bordering on like being a top 5 most impressive player on the field right now. That's how he's having he's some been. ridiculous Not rookie, like the, the, he he's he's averaging a pass breakup a, a a practice and today he spent a lot of time in run fits just being a menace in the run game you know, reading the play right, being physical, making tackles. I, He's acclimating I, very quickly to the NFL level. No question. to go on. <laughs> and and none of that is necessarily a surprise, right? Like, Ryan, we, we talked um, with an Alabama writer about, like, how that star position is a very hard position to play at Alabama. It requires a lot of smarts. It requires, you know, him doing it as a rookie is, is phenomenal. We, we saw inside the den, we saw how much they were surprised that Brian Branch was still there, you know, in the in the middle of the second round. My question is, though, like, how are they going to play this? Like, they they need to play this guy. It's clear he's a very talented guy. It's clear they're not going like, they're going to put him on the field. But like, how often can they do it with with all the surrounding pieces around them? How they're, they're going to want to put him out there, I think, more than maybe they physically can, because they're set at outside corner because they have CJGJ because they have two starting capable safeties. So like, is it only dime or are, is, is someone going to get pushed out or is it just going to be like the first person that gets injured amongst the secondary, they're going to shake things around so that Brian branch is the first one on the field. Doesn't matter what position it is. Are you taking this Ryan or should I? Oh, okay. Yeah, no, I, I think, yeah, yeah. I think for me, when you look at that, Point, Jeremy, would the Lions go to such great lengths to completely shake up their defensive backfield just to find a spot for Branch? Because yeah. 
I think your question is really, how can they keep this guy off the field? Yeah, it kind of is. If well, he's playing so well, how can you not play him, but also stay true to like your your coaching mantra of like, hey, the best players are going to play. Let me let me ask you guys this then. What if Tracy Walker is just not 100% before the season? I don't think we're, he's a lot to be back at full full strength yet. And yeah, we've had a couple of injury scares so far with the secondary. Like, I think Jeremy's right there. He's going to see the field sooner rather than later. It's just a matter of where the grind of the NFL season really puts him in. If he's going to really, play that. Though, yeah. I, I think really, though, it's the marker of how much further along this defensive backfield is than it was a year ago, right? I mean, we're talking about how hard it is to find a player who's playing out in training (laughs) camp, finding a spot for him on the defense. When last year it was like, do they have a starting CB one? (laughs) (laughs) It's a really good point. It's it's just impressive to me. I know it's just clips on Twitter, but like the past breakups they posted to branch on Friday. We're just I'm just like, wow, like the Lions have good receivers and he's just keeping up with them. Yeah, just yeah, all over them. He's raped all over them. That the thing that's impressed me the most is his battles with Khalif Raymond because I think if if you look back on our training camp articles from previous years, when when Khalif is here, every single time there were one on ones, it's Khalif is just burning the crap out of this guy. He's just burning the crap out of this guy. And and look, there was that article from PFF this year that talking about how great of a separator Khalif Raymond was. And listen, Khalif got the better of him every once in a while. But for the most part, those have been very, very tight matchups. And mm-hmm. and that's that's a huge credit to, to Brian Branch. You, you've seen some of them on the Internet, on, on, on Twitter or X or whatever. Um, the only thing I, I want to go back to the Tracy Walker point, because I do think that in instances in which they drop back CJGJ to safety, which they're going to do, right? Like, right. Aaron Glenn has said that they're going to do that. I think it's going to be Tracy Walker that's coming off the field. I do. I think they, I mean, they love like Kirby Joseph to me is if he's healthy, he's going to play 100% of the snaps, 100%. They're not going to take that guy off the field. Tracy has been a little iffy this training camp. And and again, like I'm not trying to slam the guy. It, it's coming off a major injury. I think he's healthy enough. I think physically he's a hundred percent, but mentally it, it's it's challenging getting back into football when you haven't played it for a full year is challenging and i still think tracy walker just as a football player irrespective of his injury still has a lot to prove like has right. he put together a solid week one to week 17 season yet i don't know if he has yeah and i'm sympathetic to all of that but again to your point about like this has to be earned if branch is the better athlete out there for those positions like you're in the business of winning games right now. And who's going to give you the better chance to win those games? You have yeah. to make that decision. Uh, all right. From one rookie to another, and we don't have to spend a lot of time on this because I feel like for an undrafted rookie, I don't know if anyone is. This ha- feels like about real more big than hype. Thomas. This feels like a lot of hype. <laughs> but Starling Thomas, the fifth, has been pretty noticeable in practice. He's been repping consistently as, as an outside cornerback with the second team off defense. Um, getting chippy with JMO, the very physical receiver, but also like winning a lot of reps, getting a lot of pass breakups, getting an interception here too. Um, but you know, it does tend to happen that, you know, an undrafted rookie garners a ton of attention. This happened even before training camp started, right? Like we talked about Starling Thomas in, in mini camp and in, in OTAs. Uh, we noticed his speed as, as a good special team aspect of, you know, that they could use as a gunner. So 
my question to you, I guess, is 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 even knowing that the Starling Thomas does have a, a decent route to the roster and could make the roster, is he still being a little bit overhyped or do the Lions have another Jerry Jacobs on their hands, which is a name that Aaron Glenn mentioned when talking about Starling Thomas. Um, so maybe it does give credit to to maybe they, they found another diamond in the rough tier uh, after the draft. I think what's cool about it, though, is that he's an outside cornerback. I think the Lions have a lot of flexibility when it comes to like guys who can kick in and stuff yeah. like that. Sure. Um, it's cool to just have more outside corner depth. I, I think, though, it it might be being a, a, a little bit overblown. But I, I think at the end of the day, though, I, I like that we keep on talking about having problems with depth. That's so cool. Like, right. I feel I feel like. Yeah, if if Starling Thomas is a winner, then Lions fans are winners too. And, and I think that was one of the things that that Nick Baumgartner, who works for the Athletic, noticed when he came swung by today. Is just like one thing that is just immediately noticeable when you're at practice is how deep the team is now. Because, like you said, like a year ago, we were like, "Does this team have a single starting cornerback?" Now it's like, "Well, now they have a bunch, and now they have a UDFA who are like, he actually looks pretty good." And and can we fit him on the roster? Whereas like when Jerry Jacobs was playing good, you're like, he has to be on the roster. Like there's no other choice. Yeah. It's like he should start. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And did. Hopefully Starling Thomas doesn't start this year, but no, I think that it, like, as we've talked about that time for UDFAs and seventh rounders is kind of almost passed in some places. Yeah. Um. All right. Let me move on. I'm not going to do CJGJ, but I'm just going to say he's a winner. Right. Mm-hmm. He toughs through yeah. this injury that we, we were afraid was a season ender. And less than a week later, he's a full participant in practice. Uh, awesome. Really excited Great. for him. Fantastic. Um, but Derek Barnes, I think, deserves some some praises here, too. Um, granted, he's not repping as as a first team linebacker as much anymore. And in fact, barely at all um, where he started training camp that way. But he's still continually making plays, particularly in the run game. Um, it's made a couple huge tackles that have drawn oohs and ahs from the crowd. Are you buying now that? La- I mean, last year I think I asked you this question: Are you buying when Kelvin Shepard said there's going to be a bloodbath in the linebacker room and it's going to produce the the best? Like he's confident in the linebacker room. Now we're a year later and we're like, okay, like there's actually three, four, maybe five guys who can start in this linebacking group. Are you buying that or are we overhyping this linebacker group in the offseason? I think it's it's just it's been so long to think about linebacking performance like this. It really feels like I have to see it to believe it, because a lot of this also depends on Anzalone, like having an, another successive year sure. of which, like last year was a career high performance from him, pretty much like probably the like probably better than most of his seasons he even had with with New Orleans, if we're being honest. You a rookie in in Jack Campbell, like that we've all kind of marked to market did on balling out, and Malcolm Rodriguez to come back. Like Derek Barnes is a good story, but I I I still need to see. Let, let dial me back after the probably the, some of the preseason games where I get to see it in live action, and then I'm like, okay, maybe I can buy into this. I I I'm gonna grade this one an incomplete grade for me. There's part of me that I don't, I don't know if I'm putting too much pressure on Derek Barnes 
to validate Brad Holmes first draft. But yeah, Panay Sewell seems like an obvious <laughs> knocked it out of the park. I'm on race. I'm on Ross St. Brown knocked it out of the park. But then you have Levi and you have Fatou Malafanu and, you know, you have some other players in there where it's like mm, largely forgettable so far through their NFL careers. It seems like Derek Barnes would be the if he pops off and if he is a contributor to this defense, then it seems like, OK, yeah, that was a win. Like that first draft was a win. You got a you got a starting tackle. You got an awesome wide receiver and you got a linebacker out of it. Like, nice. Good job. But the the Derek Barnes stuff seems so strange to me just because I think going into the season, I was like, OK, well, they have Jack. They have Alex, who they love and they have Malcolm. Like those right. are their three guys. Derek Barnes was kind of an afterthought to me in the sense, not not like Levi was because of injuries, but Derek just seemed like it seems like he's going to be the guy who just can't quite get it. You know what I mean? Like he'll hang around in the NFL for a long time, being a special teams player, essentially kind of being Jared Davis. Like I, 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 I was just truly wondering, Jeremy, like, is he going to learn the linebacker position? And it seems like that's the the tipping's the, you know, that's the tipping point right now for him in training yeah. camp is he is learning it. Yeah. Well, and it, it almost seems overnight too, right? Like, yes. From, from flipping the linebacker room on its head, because it's just like, okay, well, yeah, like you said, it's, it's obviously those three it, it's, it's Malcolm, it's, it's Jack and it's, it's Alex. And then suddenly like you, we get to OTAs and it's like, oh, Derek Barnes is a thing. He he's way ahead of Malcolm. Like, and that's how I yeah. view it now. It's like, he's yeah. way ahead of Malcolm. And I think the reasoning is like Malcolm has a ceiling, right? His, he has physical limitations. We're not sure he's ever going to like the Rodrigo hype. Even, the, the re, Rodrigo hype was fine. It was, it was fun right. for what it was, but like, I think that's, this is going to get into one of our losers here in a second, but like sophomore, sophomore years tend to like, you, you tend to come back down to earth. Sure. And the guys with the skill who have been who are drafted higher because their skill ceilings are higher starts to they they start to they start to acclimate a little bit better. Well, that that started to happen for Malcolm Malcolm last year, right? Like he yeah. hit that proverbial rookie yeah, role even before the end of the, the season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and so I mean it, it's interesting, right? I, I do I do kind of buy into some of this Derek Barnes stuff now, and and a lot of it makes logistical sense, right? Like new to the position, only playing it one one year at Purdue. Took a while to get the reps and get the the playing time at the NFL level. And anyone you talk to is like, yeah, there is a switch that flipped this offseason. He he put in the work. He he put aside some of the anxiety about winning a starting spot. And now he knows the position, like you said. He and and because he has, you know, more more of a physical frame for the position than than Malcolm does, like that ceiling is higher. And and you could definitely believe that. He has jumped there. And and is he going to start? No. Is he going to play a significant amount? I think he might. This team is not afraid to rotate linebackers and play them, you know, uh, situationally. And so I, I, I think, I think I buy into this and not, we haven't even talked about Jalen Reeves Mabin, who is at least capable, right? Like yeah. you would have he, taken he Jalen Reeves Mabin as a backup last year. And now he's your backup to the backup to the, like he's fifth in line and you, you got to feel at least okay about that. All right, last one. Last one. Uh, we have to go to the losers, and and I'm going to kind of do a hybrid here. Uh, Julian O'Quar and James Houston, I think, are struggling to adjust. And listen, we're we're early in training camp. This is the the time of year we we mentioned it before. Like you're supposed to be making mistakes, or you're supposed to be learning from those mistakes. You're supposed to be growing. You're supposed to be testing things out. But James Houston, 
and Julian Aquar have both been playing the same linebacker role where they're dropping into coverage a ton. Um, they're trying to make them more of three down backs. They're, they're trying to do more run defending. And I would say both have not done a particularly good job. Julian has kind of consistently been repping ahead of James Houston. James Houston's also been battling what appears to be an injury for the last couple of days, but both have been really struggling to make an impact. Julian, I think we all agree, is very much on the roster bubble. James Houston, probably not because of what he can do as a situational pass rusher. But my question to you with, with James is, is that, a, is that it? Is, is, well, he, is he only going to be a situational pass rusher when on obvious passing downs and you hope that that's enough to get him another 7-8 sack season? Can I judo flip this question? Sure. To you and to Ryan. Is that fine if he just remains a situational pass rushing linebacker? Is that just perfectly fine? Or does he my, need to be something more than that? My answer is that is totally fine. I'm 100% okay with it. I, I would think you probably want him to... to pitch in on special teams just because you aren't just so that you aren't playing him, you know, eight snaps a game. But that I, I I will say that's going to frustrate fans because fans are going to be like, if he can do this, why aren't we putting him in an every down? It's going to frustrate him. Probably. He's probably not going to love only playing situational like that. And if you've read the, the awesome piece by Tyler Dunn, like he can be an emotional guy, right? Like he is very much, he almost quit football last year. Because he didn't get called up from the practice squad for the first two months of the season. Um, so that that's going to be something that, that would be tough to manage, I imagine, as a coach. But if you're getting that, if you're getting, you know, situational pass rusher who's a productive pass rusher as a seventh round pick, sixth round pick. Yeah, you'd take that. That's great. I'd love that. I, uh, I'm totally fine with it, too, uh, to, to put a bow on yeah. it with and James I, Houston, like. Yeah. No, oh, go ahead, Chris. So no, no, no. I was going to say I, I do too, but I was going to explain why. But you were about to explain something too, so go on. Oh no, I was just saying that I would have zero problems with that being his ceiling. It's just situational pass rusher, right? I just, I, I think we've just. That's why I brought up the idea of sophomore, sophomore. You're struggling a bit. Like, there, there's no doubt he overachieved last year. There's no doubt in my mind. He just fans saw a lot from him and thought that like this is it. And I just think he's like, that's hard. That kind of production's really hard to keep up. It's really hard to keep up, but that's totally fine. This is a guy who was a day three pick. Like he doesn't need to be someone who's in there every down. Maybe he can even like expand and like, again, there's more passing downs than ever. So maybe you expand his use into like a first or a second down on top of third on top of third long third downs as well like like he can he can play that role but like i guess the thing is what i'm trying to say is i don't really feel concerned because he's struggling to drop back into coverage because we saw him struggle with that in college as well it's just never someone who he's he, he's ultimately at the end of the day a defensive end being forced into like linebacker roles well i, I think my favorite development of lions training camp if I'm being completely honest, is that Charles Harris is just taking that role and he's like running Mm -hmm. with it. And and I mean, I I know there's going to be bumps and there's going to be lumps along along the way to where they end up. But I think it's awesome the fact that they can get him out there in that role and he can be part of the pass rush. And if he's excelling at it, that's awesome because we've seen what he can do when he's the focus point of the defense, right? It's no longer they're going to be worried about stopping Charles Harris. If Charles Harris is healthy, right, Jeremy, it's what uh, the linebackers coach um, or the, uh, well, Kelvin Shepard, but it was also the outside linebackers coach, uh, Correo. 
Yep. Um, Dave he, he he mentioned like a healthy a healthy Charles Harris is going to make a make us a better defense. Yeah. And I, I if I can spin you know sad things about James Houston and Julian Okwara into something positive, I think Charles Harris being on the field is going to be like lights out. It's going to be awesome. I don't have much on Okwara. I I I've always thought he's going to struggle to make this uh, make this roster, and um, I don't. I don't know. I don't. I don't know what the road is for him right now. It's a tough one. Yeah. So let's we just good? focus on Charles Harris balling out. Exactly. Eff <laughs> it, we ball. Eff it, we ball. Oh, good, Ta- Jeremy. Taylor Decker has kind of been eating his lunch lately. I will say that, but that's mm. that's Taylor Decker. Taylor that's Decker Taylor Decker, which I know that Lions fans have kind of forgot about Taylor Decker being good with the new shiny Panay Soul, but Taylor Decker's still good. He's he's. A borderline elite pass protector. I will say that about Taylor Decker, and yeah. he has been for a very long time. Yeah. I think that's it. See, see, Michigan people can say nice things about rival schools. So say something nice about Aaron Rodgers. He went to, he Cal. Went to Cal. Yeah, he went to Cal. <laughs> He's schools. A rival, though. Schools. Schools. Operative word. <laughs> That's it for us. Let's get out of here. Next week, we're closing in on on preseason. I don't know if we're going to preview preseason. No, no. <laughs> I'll tell you right now. No, yeah. we're not going to oh. do a first bite. At least we might talk about it next week on the POD cast, but we're not doing our first bite. Yeah, preseason. but we are still continuing our training camp sessions. Yes. You look on the lookout for those. That still takes up a lot of the stuff. And uh, yeah, any other notes? No, let's get out That's of here. That's it. Myself, for Jeremy Reisman, for Ryan Matthews, this has been POD Cast, and as always, we'll see you star side. Bye. Bye.